Welcome to the Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards Podcast, Episode 80, the week of November 1, 2010. I'm Chris Bevelo, President of Interval. We're the healthcare marketing agency that puts on the podcast. Joined on this gloomy day by <laughs> Jackie Ritacco, account coordinator at Interval. And uh, Adam Meyer, creative director at Interval. We survived the land hurricane. The land <laughs> The land hurricane. That's what they called it. I know. We had a gale, like gale force hurricane. We had a tsunami winds. without the water. It's quite a bit of water. Yeah, I guess there is. <laughs> I heard a weather forecaster say this is going to be the equivalent of a level one or level two hurricane, but without the wind. You mean water? And I'm like, without what? the water? No, without the wind. What sense what? does that make? No, he said we were not going to have the same level of winds. I think he was referring to the pressure. Oh. Like this is like historic. It's never been as low a pressure as it is Why we, now. We set records. Yeah. It was windy, that's for sure. Yeah. Very windy. I'm a little fearful to see what my house looks like. <laughs> yeah. know. Okay, so forum. This is our forum for riffing and ranting. But we're not going to riff and rant we're not. right off the bat. Well, maybe we will. I just want to riff. We kind of have, let's riff. Hey, we'll <laughs> riff on someone else's rant, though I don't know if this is a rant. This is a story that folks are talking about in the healthcare marketing sphere. Realm. Realm. <laughs> uh, it was in USA Today, I believe. Today, on day of recording. Oh, we kind of talked about this last week a little bit, too, didn't we? We did? Didn't we talk about doctors and commenting? And we did. And stuff? Yeah, yeah, so this is just kind of a follow-up. Online doctor ratings aren't very helpful is the headline, which you could put under the delicious category of duh. <laughs> we talked about delicious before, so if you had to tag it with duh. <laughs> Written by a physician? Written by a physician. Now, so first of all, huge grain of salt there, right? It's a physician. But I think some of his comments are actually dead on. He, he talks about having Googled himself, finding all this <laughs> stuff out there. Um, you guys find that funny? <laughs> I do. He said it. I Googled myself. I recently Googled myself. Sounds painful. I don't want to hear about it. His question is, can patients reliably choose a good doctor online? Uh, and then his point is, there are some good reasons consumers should be wary of the information they find online about doctors. That's a lot, a of, lot of this is stuff we've covered right. about mm-hmm. why it's tough. Some of it, it makes you arch your eyebrow a little bit. Um, this was very interesting. Um, he's talking about how it's difficult to use some information to correlate with others. So he says, an archives of internal medicine study, so that must be some publication, which I'm sure you subscribe to, yes, (laughs) archives of internal medicine, study in September found that most publicly available information on individual physicians, such as disciplinary actions, the number of malpractice payments, or years of experience, has little correlation with whether that, that doctor adhered to the recommended medical guideline. So he's using that as a point, and I just want to say, you're missing the point. <laughs> the doctor has malpractice losses. I don't really care if he's following standard medical procedure. That's not a good thing. Right. right. So, yeah, maybe it's not correlated to whether he follows the right process, but I still think that's valid information. Disciplinary actions? Do you ever read disciplinary actions when in the paper? In Have the you ever paper? seen that? Where, or... like, the state medical board disciplines a doctor? No. It's not good. <laughs> I mean, to get disciplined by the state board, you have to, like, it's usually sexual in nature with your patient. That's usually, the, like, the leading cause. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
I would think disciplinary action of a physician would be a valid right. data point. <laughs> so I don't know if I agree with that. Um, but I do think he, uh, I think he's right overall in saying that a lot of the information you find doesn't, the, the examples he gives are bad ones. You know, his example later of people's comments is better. That just because people say bad things doesn't mean that that's a bad doctor. Right. So um, there was one line in there that I just that was kind of amusing, and I, just the way it was phrased. Yeah, yeah. Anonymous, oh. the one, the one said anonymous commenting should not be allowed. Yeah, I saw that. No, too. I think that's fine. I've I've got that well, highlighted. Yeah, but, but what this is, is that? What does that mean? It means nobody should be able to. Yeah, piss into the wind on the internet. I mean, it's it, the same thing <laughs> the guy said last time. No, it's the same thing. If you're going to post something about somebody, you should put your name behind it. You, what you, I think you you're talking should, about how, is this. How, how do you, how do you, he says it should not be allowed. How do you stop it? How do you stop me from Easily. creating, how, no, how do you stop me from creating a Twitter account and just saying, this doctor sucks. Oh, he means on, he on means on sites. websites. I, I understand. I understand that, but it just, it doesn't, he didn't really say it that way. Yeah. But if you, if you can somehow establish that credible websites do not allow anonymous posts and therefore you should not follow other websites that allow it, then I think that's just, that's oh, I, I agree reasonable. With that. I, I think that's that. what he's saying. And I, and I also agree that on legitimate websites, anonymous commenting should not be allowed. I think you should have the mm-hmm. cojones to put your name right. behind what you're saying. No, here's the statement that maybe I thought maybe you were referring to this. Nancy Nielsen, past president of the American Medical Association, has said, quote, Anonymous online rating sites that don't allow physician access add nothing to the quality of patient-physician communication <laughs> and understanding, unquote. Now, she's talking more about they should have a right to respond. But I, I, that just yeah. sounds so defensive, even right. though we're arguing that, yeah, probably you shouldn't allow them. Uh, but then I like his, you know, how can a web search for a doctor be improved? His first comment is, physicians should encourage patients to leave online reviews. Yeah. That's awesome. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Yes. That's what, we've, that's what we're talking about, right? I mean, if you have nothing to hide, you should encourage it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, then he says, anonymous reviews should not be allowed, and that's where you were laughing, mm-hmm. Adam. What, what was your quote? Can't piss in the wind of the internet? <laughs> <laughs> I like it. That is good. <laughs> Stop me. Uh, and finally, objective performance data, such as how often doctors appropriately screen patients for cancer, or how many of their patients meet blood pressure, cholesterol targets, are often not revealed. They need to be made publicly available. Yeah, that'd be great mm-hmm. if you could. So the physician's name was Kevin Foe. I think I'm pronouncing it right, P-H-O. So I don't know. I just thought it was interesting to hear from a doctor, and yeah. in a reasonable way, mm-hmm. not in a, the internet sucks and everybody's evil and don't ever say anything mean about me. Right. Are we beating that horse to death? A little bit, but that's cool. <laughs> a little bit? Okay. At least it's not like Burger King online ratings. And then we really would be. <laughs> Do we have a Burger King update for this? No Burger King <laughs> updates. We talked about Burger King or Gap again. I'd... No, though I saw, what's interesting is I saw Paranormal Activity 2. You went to it at the I theater? I saw it in the theater. And... Did you go to one in the theater? No. I didn't either. And, but I think um, it's on Netflix. Yeah, Stream, it is. Instant streaming. The, uh, not instant streaming. Oh, I think it is. is. Yeah. I think it is, actually. Anyway, one of the main characters <laughs> is a Burger King franchisee. Oh, so he owns Burger King or two. That you good. can't get away from it. No, we'll find it somewhere par- every episode. Is it in 3D? No. I thought they were like... No, they'll wait for number three. That's what you do. Halloween 3, Friday 13th 3, Jaws 3, they're all 3D. 
So you wait to Paranormal Activity 3, 3D. I thought the latest one was in 3D. Can't have Paranormal Activity 2, 3D. <laughs> Come on, Adam. I didn't even know that movie was out, but anyways. Yeah, Did you like the first one? I didn't see it. Was it kind of scary? Because I'm not a fan scary. of those. Honestly, those, I'm not a big fan of freaky movies. Was it the Blair Ring? Witchy? Yes. Yeah. Blair yeah. Witchy. Witch-esque. It was more classic ghost story. Okay. So like knocks in the night and things moving. Um, but it moved a pretty good clip, and it was it was kind of, um, I don't want to say basic, but just very clean and simple. Okay. So it was it was entertaining, I thought. It wasn't, like, horrifying. Okay. Scary. But there are parts where you kind of jump a little. We'll see. This should have been a Halloween podcast. What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> I watched Halloween, speaking of that movie. That's still scary. That, yeah, that's a good one. Man, is that there's the some one? cornball stuff in it, though, when you go back and look, but yeah. it's it's scary. Is that the one with the hockey mask? No, no that's, that's Jason. Dang, he does have a get mask that. on. Okay. But it's like Mike a, Myers. Michael yeah, Myers. Michael Myers. Oh, yeah. Okay. Evil has been released upon the town. <laughs> that's what the doctor <laughs> says. You're like, where did that come from? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, I want to talk about lean and skinny. Because I've heard a couple of healthcare marketers refer to their marketing departments as thin. So not lean or skinny, but thin. And what they mean by that is their organization pursues some form of lean, lean Six Sigma, lean manufacturing, whatever. There's different versions of it, I think. We don't have a lean program here, do we? Lean cuisine. So. Lean cuisine. <laughs> nice. So, so the idea is that with lean, you're trying to make things as efficient as possible. And, and you mm-hmm. know, you cut out all the waste and process and money and all that. But Un- when Unneeded employees. What's that? Unneeded employees. <laughs> well, and that's where this marketing person, um, the couple of them actually mentioned that we're, we're, we're thin, which what they meant was lean has gone so far that they can't do the work themselves. That's part of why they were talking to us is they need outsourced help. Because they're so thin, right. they don't have enough staff. Uh, and, and I thought it was interesting because it made me think of at what point are you, you know, are you go from lean to thin to skinny to emaciated? And, yeah. and you, you know, unfortunately, it's usually not something that marketing departments can, they're not doing it to themselves. They're not going right. on hunger strikes. You know, somebody's cutting off their food supply, if we're sticking with this metaphor. <laughs> but it, it made me think of, it, I haven't seen anybody talk about this, but who is the master of lean? What company introduced lean manufacturing in a way that everybody follows? You guys know? You have an example? Oh, it, it, there's one answer. Is it a car company? It's no. a car company. Ford? No. This company is known for lean. They helped introduce it. People travel to their country to learn lean manufacturing. Hospitals. What? have worked with this company? Toyota. Really? Toyota. Yeah. Toyota. They are, the, they are the ones that helped initiate this whole movement years and years ago uh, with Toyota's lean, I don't know, there's some special name for it, which clearly was, everybody thought was amazing and was amazing. But then they started getting thin, right? They mm. went to a point where they were trying to cut out, they went to their vendors and said, every year we want you to cut your price 10%. Which sounds reasonable like once, like, Hey, economy's bad. We're trying to be more lean, right. so we need to cut 10%, 10%. Well, five years into that, the same cog in a car is now 50% less than it was before. 
this is the primary reason that they, they got in the S storm they were in because the quality of the cars just fell apart. Right. Parts started failing. Brakes started failing. All of this stuff started failing. And a lot of it was because the quality of... Too thin. They were, they were skinny. They were emaciated. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's fascinating that the company that is known for lean took this thing so far and caused them <clears throat> significant damage to their brand. Mm-hmm. All the recalls. Remember all that we talked about on the podcast. Do you, you wonder if anybody else is learning from that lesson? Right. Like, oh, we really believe in this lean, and, but you can take it too far. Healthcare marketers probably would argue that they've taken it too far. Mm-hmm. What do you think are some signs that a healthcare marketing department in a hospital is skinny or thin or emaciated? How would you know you that turn, it's gone too far? You've turned sideways and I cannot see you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Paper thin. That's good. That's good. <laughs> What else? I suppose it depends on the place, but if there's only one on staff performing every role, yeah, well, I'd have, every well, duty. There's a lot of maybe. smaller community hospitals where that's the default. Yeah, but they would still say they're too thin. Well, yeah, yeah. but the whole—I mean, but it's, it's more kind of, relative yeah, to their right, whole right. budget. Like, there's no choice ah, okay. in the matter. Um, it's more where the, you clearly there should be more budget and staff, and they're just cut, cut, cut disproportionate to the size of the organization. And I think even 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 a small town, even a one person marketing team in a small hospital could still be lean and not thin if they're applying their themselves effectively. Mm-hmm. Depends on the support, yeah. Yeah. I think if you have to outsource everything, you're too skinny. Yep. You should have some capability exactly, on staff yeah. because there's so much to do and it's way more exp- I mean there's certainly obviously we're we're the people that folks outsource too. So there are definitely situations where it's appropriate, right. whether you have the capacity or not. But if you're stuck in a position where you have the capacity to do nothing, that's going to cost the company more in the long run than it is to have staff. Right. So, but people, you know, now you're getting into accounting where from a CFO perspective, it's fixed costs, which are employees and their labor costs versus variable costs, which are outsourced. Right. And you're always trying to get your fixed down. That's what lean is. It's variable too, but uh, what about the inability to spend any time defining success or measuring results? Yeah. Yeah. See that if, a lot. You're, if you're, if you're spending all, if you're, if you're constantly reacting, yeah. never looking to never planning, you're constantly reacting, right. never planning. Right. No opportunities to be strategic. No strategic thinking, no planning, mm-hmm. uh, no time at all to measure. And I know that measurement is everybody wants to do it. Nobody has time anyway. Mm-hmm. But if you can't ever sit down and just think about this stuff, I think that's a, I think that's a good sign. Now, what do you do about that? I don't know. Start eating heavily. Eat a muffin. <laughs> Eat a muffin. <laughs> Start gaining some weight. I don't know. I think there. I think there. There has to be some kind of again to the point of Toyota. You can't cut, 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 cut forever. At some point, you will suffer the consequences. Right. So I believe that that's the case with healthcare marketing. You, at a certain point, you're going to do damage to the brand and to the business of the organization. Maybe it's where you don't have enough PR capability to respond to crisis. Mm-hmm. You don't have people on staff that are able to respond to crisis. You don't have enough people on staff or the ability to monitor or interact social, in social media, which is a must these days. Mm-hmm. So what's our advice for all this? 
get more money. <laughs> <laughs> no, more I, think, I think healthcare marketers can think about at what's the breaking point. What are the breaking points for me? What are the breaking right. points for my organization? And setting those bars and watching for those signs and then communicating those and, and saying, you know, this is the fifth year in a row you've come back and cut my budget 10% mm-hmm. or 20%. So, you know, while that seems like a reasonable incremental amount each year, we're basically at half of where we were five years ago. Here's the impact on that. We aren't able to respond in crises as quickly as we could. We aren't able to maintain a level of brand awareness in this market, and it's costing us here, here, and here. We aren't able to think strategically and are constantly reacting and having to pursue marketing activities that are neither strategic or effective because we can't even stop and plan. Right. So at some point, you have to ask, what's the point of any of it? Mm-hmm. And you know, well, that might get you fired, I suppose. But why do? Why? Yeah. Why pursue a discipline if you're not if you're not going to pursue it in the right way, at least the minimal level? Right. Otherwise, you're throwing away the rest of the money. Whatever's left is wasted because it can't be put to use effectively. Mm-hmm. So you're better off doing nothing at that point than wasting money on half measures. Agreed. I don't know. That makes me sad. I know. Which but, leads us to our next nice segue. But then you might Did you like that segue? <laughs> Did you guys ever hear about what happened to the guy who bought the Segway company? Yeah, he yeah. flew off a cliff. Yeah, he On a Segway. On a Segway. That happened like two months ago. That is ironic. That is so uh, That's the epitome of irony. That's odd. It's some guy Sad in England, too, right? He was yeah. like over the Dover Cliffs. There's France. Ah! I, <laughs> I wonder don't think if was that was intentional. Cliff. Intentional? I don't know. Maybe. He intentionally drove off a cliff? <laughs> You never know. Wow. Why would you go through the process of buying a company and then killing yourself? For the irony. <laughs> for the, for the irony. irony. So <laughs> I, I, what could I have been remembered for? I don't know. Driving my segue my over. My business acumen is not strong. I'm going to drive off a cliff. No one will forget me now. <laughs> oh, that makes me sad too. Jackie, you found an article about how feeling sad makes us more creative. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, at first, my first instinct was, what? That, you know, you need to be in a good mood and excited and passionate to be creative. Um, But, of course, I never really thought about what they're talking about, which is some of the artistic disciplines like poetry and painting and sculptures and writing. Writing. Authors. Authors. You know, like, what's who's the big American author who was an alcoholic and... Ernest Hemingway. So anyway, this does talk about how uh, classically people have talked about from Aristotle through the Renaissance about how uh, the folks who are the most brilliant are clinically depressed, screwed up, mental issues. As Keats wrote, do you not see how necessary a world of pains and troubles is to school and intelligence and make it a soul? (laughs) So now somebody has done a study which has proven from their perspective that, quote, angst has creative perks, unquote. Where was this article? This is a column called The Frontal Cortex, found in... Wired Wired Magazine. Well, it kind of makes sense. I mean, if, if... I think the brain thrives on creativity, right? I mean, it's it's kind of like what helps it grow and, and... helps an individual but progress in life or thrive as a 
member of society or feel productive on some level is the feeling of being creative. It's kind of the feeling of being alive really is, is when you create something and feel the rewards of it. Isn't there a point that sadness kind of makes you more focused? Yes, and that's diligent? the point they make. Yeah, is that it makes you more focused? You're not right. so happy. I think it's a kind of a, survi- like, it's a survival care. mechanism. Right. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of part of evol- exactly. ev- evolving into, and, that, and that's kind of the point I was trying to get at. There was yeah. that it's just it's kind of it's part of that balance of you. You need this to have this, or you need that to have. You know, it's just I don't know. It's it's interesting and complicated. Maybe you should read the paper, quote, The Dark Side of Creativity, Biological Vulnerability and Negative Emotions Lead to Greater Artistic Creativity, unquote. (laughs) (laughs) By Madupe Akinola, professor at Columbia Business School. But yeah, Jackie, you're right. That's what they kind of, they found, they did some studies, I won't get into the studies, that showed that uh, people that were more depressed ended up with more creative ideas. And they measured those in a number of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what's driving the correlation, uh, the answer returns us to the intertwined nature of emotion and cognition. It turns out that states of sadness make us more attentive to de- and detail-oriented. And in the case of this study, more focused on a felt collage <laughs> as part of the experiment. <laughs> they had to create a felt collage after they were <laughs> induced with depression. Right, and they, then they were judged on their creativity of their collage. Well, I, th- I don't. I think it's no coincidence that so many great artists or performers end up being, you know, offing themselves. Being, and it, you, <laughs> so you chicken or the egg, suicidal. No, most people would. Most people would have. I think or not most. A lot of people would have intuited that the chicken or the first thing, the egg, is the success, which drives stress, loneliness, desperation. But what you're saying is, I'd say it's the other they way. start with that, which right. drives. That right. create, brings Sadness, them to where they mental are. depression, really. yeah. And then it probably all is compounded by their success, and then that's when it's like, a, you know, overdoses. and That's deep. That is deep. Listen to this. In a survey led by neuroscientist Nancy Andreessen, several dozen writers from the Iowa Writers Workshop, which I tried to enter and was denied, were interviewed about their <laughs> mental history. Good. Maybe it's as good once stable. you read this. You too stable. Yeah, really. 80% of the writers met the formal diagnostic criteria for some form of depression. Wow, eighty percent of the people yeah, of writers surveyed in the Iowa Writers Workshop is acclaimed. So you got some of the best writers coming out of there, and eighty percent of them are depressed. Well, if 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 being depressed leads you to an interest in writing, then that would make would make sense. How about this? K. Redfield Jameson, a professor of psychiatry at Johns Hopkins, found that successful individuals were eight times as likely as people in the general population to suffer from major depressive illness. Damn. That's astounding if that's real. Can I share something on a lighter note just in case everyone's going to go out there and you know, make themselves all sad so that they can spark creativity? Yeah. It does say that um, while sadness makes us more focused and diligent, the spotlight of attention is sharpened. Happiness seems to have the opposite effect, so that good moods make us 20% more likely to have a moment of insight. I didn't understand that. That contradicts everything they're saying. Not really. Which is why I didn't read it. It does. That sentence doesn't make any sense to me. Sadness makes us more focused Focus and diligent. And, right. Happiness seems to have the opposite effect. So we're not focused nor diligent. So why would that make us 20% more likely to have a moment of insight? 
That doesn't add up. Like it epitomies? should be the other way around. The more focused Epiphany and diligent you are, the more likely you are to have a moment of insight. So it just, I don't understand that statement. I think they had a typo in there. Oh, well, I, think I kind of liked make it because I was like, ooh, happiness. I know. It doesn't, I, read, the, read it. It doesn't make sense. It oh. contradicts itself. Okay, well, never mind. I'm sorry. I know. I See, that. I just brought you down. <laughs> I know. We're not getting back up from this. There was one other thing I was going to read. Oh, the woman I just mentioned said, depression is intertwined with the cognitive style that makes people more likely to produce successful works of art. One of the most important qualities is persistence. Based on the Iowa sample, Andreessen found that successful writers are like prize fighters who keep on getting hit but won't go down. They'll stick with it until it's right. I don't know what that has to do with depression, though. Why is resilience that you have to do with depression? Can a happy person be resilient? Apparently not. That was a weird, that's a weird analogy. And, f- and then the final quote says, if oh. you're at the cutting edge, then you're going to bleed. <laughs> <laughs> nice. End of Ooh. paper. I don't know. That's just weird. It Obviously all just makes sense, though. happy and positive. I don't know. But I that think speaks that, to that moment of insight. Yeah, and I would say that I, I don't know. That's sometimes, what I mean. Sometimes, saying, sometimes I feel most productive when I'm under some sort of pressure. So I'm not sure if that yes. makes, me, you, makes me feel a little bit stressed. Probably not happy, obviously. Um, but I feel like yes. I produce some results. So what about I, that? Go ahead. I've got a great, I'm going to solve this for them. This is slightly unrelated, but when I'm sad, I have a tendency to pay more attention to music and lyrics, and I become more focused on that more than just, I don't know. I, does that make, does well, that make any sense? I, I think Adam has hit on something that might be a flaw in these studies. <gasps> I'm serious. Dead serious. What about my insight? <laughs> <laughs> I'm Damn sorry. <laughs> You're not discounting their. Never their, mind. Their I'm never study. sad. I mean, no. He he. The author puts in here in, in part of this because part of the, the initial study was measuring some kind of hormone. So they were measuring a chemical level in the in this test. So it wasn't just some, the opinion of their felt sculpture, um, a hormone that blunts the effect of stress hormones. So the more you get that, the more under stress you are. And he puts in quotes, or in parentheses, as I've written about before, depression is closely entangled with chronic stress. And that is, that's the clinical perspective, is that stress and depression are the two sides of the same coin. Right. So if you're more likely to be depressed, you're also more likely to feel stress. So Adam, you just talked about in the context of stress. Like when I'm under stress, I tend to focus and I have great ideas. Well, if you feel stress a lot, that makes sense. But if you feel stress a lot, you're also more likely to have some kind of component of depression. Right. So they're tying it all to the depression side. It makes me wonder if it's just not these people are all depressed, but that also makes them stressed, and it's the stress side of it that's driving them to be more focused and creative, not the depressed side. They're not sitting around moping, crying in their coffee, and coming up with brilliant ideas. Unless, unless, might be. Yeah, unless well, stress might be, and but. depression are both defined on very similar grounds or similar... If they're, if they're kind of one and the same. Yes, that's what I've been told. Right, on they're, different, they're on different levels. Two sides of the same coin. Right. But they're highly related. And I can't remember why, but he says it right here, so it must be true. <laughs> anyway, so it's not feeling sad makes us more creative. It's feeling stressed makes us more creative. And those people that are more likely to be stressed are also more likely to be depressed. No, but, but it's that not all, the depression that's doing it. It's the stress. But that all it can lead to sadness. 
What about like Guns N' Roses? They had their best, their best music was when they were just totally stoned and drunk all the time. Then they sobered and, up. Which causes depression. Maybe they started to be, <laughs> yeah, quite possibly. Well, alcohol definitely is depressing. Yeah. Well, then they, they, yeah. they sobered up and their music sucked and they broke up. Well, you could do a study that argues it was because they were high on narcotics that led to creativity. Not the yeah, downside, maybe. but the upside. Which or a that lot they were of artists sad, would argue too. And then they did drugs. Perhaps we need to reevaluate. And, and then they were creative. <laughs> anyway, interesting, I guess. Yeah. I mean, fascinating topic. I just don't mm-hmm. want to encourage people to go out and make themselves unhappy so they can be more productive. But if you want to write a great album, you need to get stoned out of your mind, apparently. Or be or a sad. depressant, yeah, clinically so depressed. Like who? Jewel. Is she? I, don't I think she's pretty happy. Jewel. I don't know. She's probably never drank or done any Jewel's depressed? Because <laughs> we haven't heard from her in a while. Yep. <laughs> all right. That's all we have for today, I think. Yep. I think that's plenty, don't you? I do. No, Jackie? She's, no, that's fine. She's Nobody sad. responded she's to my sadness in music comment, but that's <laughs> what I'm crying. <laughs> yeah. I was you trying to relate to everyone, but it's fine. When you were more sad, you paid more attention to music and lyrics. Mm-hmm. Right, and I focus on the creativity involved and maybe not the poppy, the, the beats and, you know. Does that make really? sense? No. I focus more on, that speaks to the being focused and, all right. Need another woman in the house. Uh, <laughs> it's not the type of music you're not talking about, he lists the more melancholy, like Jewel. No. <laughs> Jewel's not melancholy. Is she on your playlist? <laughs> no. Don't lie. No. No. Not it me turns either. out. Yeah, I've got a Jewel album somewhere, I think. Jeez. I'm sorry. <laughs> Kudos to you. <laughs> <laughs> not a Jewel fan. Uh, Adam's kind of into Katy Perry. Huh? Adam's into Katy Perry. <laughs> Katy Perry's okay. The California girls makes you want to vomit. I girl and I liked it. <laughs> oh, can I tell the story? What time is it? How are we doing? Yeah, time. Yeah. Okay. So just real quick story on that song. I was at, in fact, this Friday is my... <laughs> kids elementary school dance called the hornet hop okay so last year i was at the hornet hop and had karaoke in in the cafeteria and there's a woman who was playing the karaoke music and like a horde of girls wanting to sing and they were in line and all this and somebody picked Katy perry i kissed a girl so up it comes it starts singing and i'm i'm just standing off the side because my daughters are in line so i'm waiting for them and there are three moms next to me who go apoplectic over this. <laughs> oh my God, what is that? And they start making gestures like, shut it off, shut it off. One of them went over. That is so inappropriate. That is so inappropriate. <laughs> they should not be playing this at a Montreal school dance. Now, what do you guys Jeez. think of that? Ooh, my right. reaction was to go, lighten up. Yeah. yeah. I would, right. I would say lighten up with, in the back of my mind, yeah. Certainly, these, there's some inappropriateness to these lyrics, but I'm not going to get all bent out of shape about it. It's a song, right. and these kids are probably not thinking anything about the lyrics because this is on the and radio, and everyone's it. humming along. I th- and- yeah, I think they thought it was some kind of like homosexual <clears throat> agenda right, that was right. being pushed. And I'm like, <laughs> Children, <laughs> please. They're not reading into these lyrics like adults who have learned to overanalyze things and get all uptight and bent out of shape. It's just like, shut, right. shut your Now they're going to react to the song because you're freaking out over there. Yeah, now they're, gonna, now they're going to analyze it. Right, that's right. That's right. You just ensured that. Why is that, mom having oh, a seizure? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Hmm, we're not supposed to listen to this song. Well, why not? I add it to my iTunes. I don't even know I have iTunes. Perhaps I'll even kiss a girl. <laughs> and <laughs> like it. Just like it. <laughs> anyway, maybe that just shows my politics or 
I don't know what it shows, but I thought that was kind of humorous. I just was laughing to myself about how upset they really were about it. Yeah. And I'm like, come on, seriously? Yeah. Seriously. Find something else to worry about. Exactly. Something that. Like the Guns N' Roses song, yeah. My Daughters Are Gonna Sing. <laughs> yeah. I used to like love what we her. have on I used cue. to love her, but I had I to kill her. To love her. Sing this one, dears. <laughs> She's buried right in my backyard. <laughs> nice. Ow! <laughs> All right, we better leave it at that. For arrogant healthcare marketing bastards, this is Chris Pevelo. Jackie Ritacco. Adam Meyer. We'll see you. We'll see you at 81. Happy Halloweeny.